my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Well, there's new Wells Fargo news I'm going to share with you in today's clark moment. And later, you love renting a place to stay instead of staying in a hotel room when you're on vacation? I have a special warning for you that you need to be aware of before you rent a place instead of renting a traditional hotel. And right now, I want to talk to you about something that has me very worried And it's a website that is fast-growing called Zebit, Z-B-I-T, that you may have looked at, you may have heard of, you may have shopped at. So Zebit is designed for people who maybe don't have the best credit. And they use their own proprietary method to decide who they'll lend money to. And the lending is not traditional lending. They sell consumer goods of various types, a lot of electronics, a lot of household items, uh, you name it. And the way their system works is if you go to the website, you don't need a credit score, and they sell you stuff at 0% interest. So how could there be such a free lunch? Get up to $2,500 interest-free credit. And then they say, shop millions of products and pay over time. No interest, no membership fees, no credit score needed. Zero percent interest. They say it again. And they apparently have over a million customers by their telling. And it says for you to be eligible, you have to be 18 or older, and you have to be actively employed, retired, or disabled with some form of benefits. And then you join, and you shop, and you pay over time. So what could possibly go wrong here? The prices of the items you're buying tend to be above market price. And so if you look at the preview, they talk about what's due today, but they don't talk about the total amount you pay for an item. So it's just due today. So there's a problem here. Like uh, they'll show a TV here, 50-inch 4K TV. Due today, $120.75. But do they tell you what the total price is? No, they don't. And what they do is they bake the cost of borrowing money into you paying substantially above retail for the items they're selling. And so I want you to know that when somebody promises a free lunch. I mean, think about there are all these smiling people when you go to the website who are getting interest-free credit. But it's not interest-free if you're paying well above market. Now, there's something else I wanted to mention that I read in a New York Times 
New York, I'm sorry, New York Post story about a number of alternative lenders are working with major retailers. And when you get to the register to buy a more expensive item, you're offered the option of instant financing on that item. So instead of using existing credit, if you don't have any credit at all, you're able to use this opportunity to finance something right then and there. And the issue with that is a pretty simple one. What are you actually paying? What interest rate is it going to cost you to get that instant financing at the register? And usually you're going to find that the interest rates are going to be somewhere between 25 and 35% for these instant loans taking place at a register. And my thing is pretty clear on this, and that is if you're buying something that is for fun, you don't want to pay interest to buy that fun, that you want to save money for lifestyle. That's why, I know it's not the most popular thing in the world, but that's why through Christmas season, I've always been such a fan of layaway plans where you keep paying the cash till you have enough money where you walk out of the store owning the item instead of getting instant gratification, walking out with the store, having a loan payment you have to meet month after month at 25 to 35% interest. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mark. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, sir. You got a question for me about doing something online. What are you thinking of doing? Yes, sir. What I'm trying to do is I'm like to let you know I'm debt free and I have about sixty thousand dollars in savings, and I'm only making point zero eight percent interest on it. And I'm trying to find a higher paying savings account, which I could open my savings account and, and put all that money into it. However, um, I'm trying to do it over the internet. And they want all of my information that a hacker would be able to get at if it was compromised in some way. And what I really need to know is how safe is it to open a savings account via the Internet? It's completely safe to open a savings account over the Internet. And the interest rate you'll earn is so much higher, obviously, than what you'll see at a traditional institution where right now, without even breaking a sweat, you can earn nearly 2.5% on savings. And so I love the idea of you doing that and earning what is, I mean, think about you're earning essentially zero right now. Correct. And so if you can earn 2 plus percent to 2.5% right in that range, that's an awesome improvement. Now let's talk about the risk involved. Okay. So anytime you open a bank account, credit union account, brokerage account, mutual fund account, anything like that, any financial services account, in the aftermath of 2001, you now have to give all kinds of information for them to verify identity and all the rest. So regardless if you open at a physical location or you open online, you have that same vulnerability with your personal information. But I'm comfortable with you 
opening an online account because the risk is identical regardless of where you put your money. So is my money or my information going to be protected in a way that if it is compromised, that there's some protections that I could look towards? Uh, no, I would say that with the data breaches we've had through the years, your information is is at risk regardless of where you open an account. It's no more at risk with an online than it is at a physical place. It's the same risk. So, okay. so it's one of those facets of modern life that because of the problem with data breaches, we do have a vulnerability with pretty much anything we do in life. But I think it's worth, you know, in life, we always have to calculate risk. You know, we get in a car and we drive somewhere knowing there's a danger we could be in an accident, right? Correct. But we know that that danger is fairly remote. So uh, when you open an online account, you know you're going to make more money. And there is a risk that there could be a data breach. And that's how I'd look at it is that it is a calculated risk. You know that you've got this great advantage with the possibility that a hacker would cause some discomfort, inconvenience, or hassle for you. But again... That's the same even if you're earning basically nothing like you are now, which is why it's worth the risk, well worth the risk. Sally's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Sally. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Certainly, Sally. Um, So my situation is I'm 51, debt-free, own my house, own my car. We max out our Roths um, and do our employer match. And so my question is... Wow, wow. Well, thank you. You're not messing around at all, are you? Well, I thought I would preface it with that. So, I live in Ohio and I have a 26 year old son who lives in Florida. He's been down there, he went to school there, graduated, so he's staying there. Um, So, now that we've kind of got everything in order up here, I was considering buying a rental property where he lives and renting it to him. He's currently paying rent to an apartment and his lease is up. So I'm thinking that maybe he should be paying rent to me. Uh, So I, but I didn't know buying a rental property that's 1200 miles away. Not sure what to do with that. So I would not consider it unless he's really set down roots in the community in Florida he's in. Because even if he's become a Florida boy, it doesn't mean he's going to want to stay exactly where he is in Florida. How old's your son? He's 26. 26. Uh, it's possible that he's laying down deep roots in the communities, and it's more likely that he might uh, move somewhere else or might want to live in a different neighborhood or something like that over time. So I would not buy a place with the idea of it being a permanent housing solution for him unless you're really, really comfortable and confident that he wants to stay right there in whatever property you together would find. Because I don't want you owning a rental property 1,100 miles away if you don't have your own son living in it. So if it's reasonably sure that he is there, um, 
for indefinitely? I mean, then that would be fine. Okay. Now, some of the things you need to know about real estate in Florida is that the homeowner's insurance part is a rough part of the equation because of the risk that so much of Florida faces from hurricanes. Okay. That it's an expense that a lot of people not from Florida are kind of shocked by is the difficulty of buying homeowner's insurance, particularly on what would be an investment property, the difficulty buying it and then the expense of having it. So it's not unusual for a property in Florida to have higher homeowner's insurance premiums than the cost of uh, property tax on the property. Okay. So you have to think think that that part through and try to get a sense of what it would cost for a a target property you've identified that you might want to own. Now, there's an advantage as an absentee landlord owning a condo in Florida because the condo association is responsible for the policy that you're going to have to have for most of what's required to be purchased and then you're not as an out-of-stater trying to figure out how to navigate the homeowner's insurance puzzle. And then you just need a what's a relatively cheaper condominium owner's policy for the parts that the homeowner's association or condo association doesn't cover. But okay. I would not jump into this with both feet. I would kind of dip your toes in the water and be sure it really is something you want to do before you buy a, a rental property in Florida. I happen to have a rental property in Florida in addition to other rental properties I have elsewhere. And the Florida rental property, the carry costs on it because of the whole hurricane part, is it's, it's something to deal with. It's a pretty significant expense. Today's Car Courageous Moment is concentrated on a company that has been part of our Car Courageous Moment more than any other single company. And it's Wells Fargo, the nation's now fourth largest bank that never seems to get rid of the stain of scandal of all the hideous things that Wells Fargo did to customers, including foreclosing on people's homes that shouldn't have been foreclosed on, repossessing cars of people that shouldn't have been repossessed, selling people insurance or billing people for insurance they didn't buy, opening 3 million-plus accounts that people did not authorize and didn't want. And Wells Fargo says in their image advertising and all that, they're a new Wells Fargo, and they're different and all the rest. Well, today, the CEO of Wells Fargo is testifying before a congressional committee and is going to have to answer multiple media reports in the last several days that Wells Fargo is still engaged in the same kind of terrible shenanigans that employees are complaining to anyone that'll listen about a toxic sales-oriented culture and you want proof just go to a wells fargo atm as a wells fargo customer and withdraw money and before they'll even give you your money they will try to sell you other products everything about the wells fargo culture is pressure, pressure, pressure to sell, 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 whether it's in your best interest or not. The employees are miserable. 
They've stated so many times. And one thing I'd say to Wells Fargo employees, as good as the job market is right now, give them the heave-ho and go somewhere else. For you as a customer, I know it's a hassle or perceived hassle to change banks. But know that this is a company that, to its core, seems to not be able to get past a rotten culture. And you never know when they may pull something on you. If you get an opportunity, watch or read about today's hearings and watch the two-stepping going on in the evasion by the CEO. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. You know, I love traveling. I love vacations. And it's something that is so much a part of my life is the travel that I'm privileged to get to do. But imagine you save up, you plan, you have nothing but excitement about a trip you're going on, and you get to where you're going, and you have no place to stay. Or the place you stay, you get kicked out of. It's an issue that's coming up in more and more places around the world, and right here in the U.S., when you book a property on Airbnb or its competitors. And there's an ongoing tug of war between individuals who own places they want to rent out and local communities and and condo associations and local governments that don't want those rentals. And I've talked to you before about the ongoing fights in Hawaii about people renting places out on short-term rental services and how it changes the character of a community. And I just read a story in, was it in was it the New York Times? I'm trying to remember where it was about an ongoing fight with Airbnb and Miami Beach. Miami Beach, such a popular destination for vacationers. And people renting on Airbnb are hearing a knock on the door from law enforcement, kicking them out of the properties because it's illegal in Miami Beach, among other places, to rent out a, a, you know, a residential property as what they consider to be a hotel. You're only allowed to rent out a residential property for, I think it's a seven-month minimum rental. And so you, as the renter, are put in the middle of this big fight going on between property owners who want to rent their places out and communities that don't want that going on. So I wanted to tell you the key survival guide for you if you ever are in a situation where suddenly you can't stay where you booked. The most important thing is whatever booking service you've used, that your immediate action is to call that rental service. If it's Airbnb, you immediately contact them through the app or on the phone or both and say that 
the police or whatever kind of enforcement authority has come and booted you out and you need another place to stay or you need your money back and you want to write down names of who you speak to and all the rest and likely you've paid for it on a credit card hopefully not a debit card and if necessary if airbnb is tone deaf you need to dispute the charge with your credit card company because they failed to deliver the service that they were providing which was a place for you to stay it's not enough to talk with the owner of the property or the manager of the property you're renting if you've uh, purchased your stay through airbnb because they're the ones that have control of the money and airbnb is the one that you need to deal with and this is going to be an ongoing saga with a continuing fight over nightly or short-term rentals is so many communities are rebelling against it and don't want these things to take place. Nobody's happier about this than the hotel owners, who in many communities are actually the push behind the enforcement going on in local communities. But in many others, it's the permanent residents in an area that don't like the transient nature of the nightly or short-term rentals that are taking place. But document everything if you find yourself in a position like this so that at best you can preserve your vacation and at worst you at least preserve your money. Catherine's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Catherine. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Catherine. How can I serve you today? Well, I was um, tied to a lease. It was a short-term lease. It was 121 days. Um, I was actually, I had taken the lease over from somebody else. And I recently found out that a collection company um, had placed a charge on my, um, on my credit um, for $1,200 because they're saying that I broke the lease. Right, and what kind of lease is this? Is this housing or car or what kind? It was a housing lease. It was for an apartment when I was in college. And how long ago was that? Um, I moved in on January 6, 2017. Okay, so, so this is just a couple of years ago. Yeah. All right, and as best you can recollect, are they right that you owe money on that lease? No. I have a copy of the lease um, that says my termination date was in May. The collection company hasn't actually sent me the documents um, that I've requested from them. But I was able to go through the apartment complex, which is under different management now. They're not the people who are charging me. But they gave me a list of those charges, which are charging me for um, July rent and um, really? August. Really? So, yeah. But, like, my copy of the lease says the termination date is in May. That's fantastic for you. Yeah. All right. This is great that you have documentation. All right. How long ago were you first contacted by this collection agency? Well, I live out in California, um, so the documentation was actually sent to my mother in Florida. Um, but we only found out about it um, a, couple, a couple weeks ago. Um, 
apparently they said that they couldn't get in contact with me. But I have documentation that says that um, my address and phone number, email address was all on file with the lease, uh, with the apartment complex. All right. So you're setting up a perfect trail to protect yourself and assert your rights here. And I want to congratulate you for having your documents so in order and how organized you just were in stating what's happened. So this Thank is you. key to you winning on this thing. So what you do is you don't wait for anything from them. They're trying to run a clock on you. What you do is you write them and send it by certified mail, and you notify them that you dispute that there is any debt owed. And you state in short order, as I, and I assume you've already explained all this on the phone, right? Yes. That as, as I discussed prior, that I was not an occupant of this property or under lease at the time that you are demanding payment for. I paid as required under the lease, and I owe no money at all. And I am instructing you to remove any collection item from my credit report, and if you fail to do so, Within 30 days, I will sue you under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Okay, thank you so much. That's now, super helpful. Now, I got to tell you more. Be yeah. prepared to sue them. And if you end up needing to do so at that point, they'll realize that they're going to be in a mess of trouble and they're going to be paying you money instead of you paying them money. And they'll say, what do you want? What do you want? You'll say, all I ever wanted in the first place for you to go away and remove any negative mark on my credit. Right. So remember, everything documented because you're that kind of person. And send this. It's going to cost you. I'm wasting some of your money sending it by certified mail, return receipt requested. But you need to mm-hmm. do that because you, okay. you need to establish your own paper trail. And odds are, um, odds are what you asked for from them, the documentation you asked for, they don't have. They probably have what's known as a line item record of you, meaning that all they have is that there's an alleged debt that you owe and they have no supporting documentation at all. Right. When I send the certified mail to them, do I send a copy of the documentation I have that that has the termination date on it? Do I send them a copy of my lease? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. You supply them because, you know, you're not bluffing. You have proof that they're wrong. And so that's why you stand up for yourself. And never at any point give them one penny of money. One penny, nothing. Because right is on your side and you have proof. So you stay tough and... Be prepared to have to go to the next step I described if they don't behave right away. But at that point, let me tell you, they'll behave because they don't want to end up being a defendant in a suit. Emerson's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Emerson. Hello, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. How are Absolutely. You today? How are you doing, Emerson? Good. I'm great. Thank you. 
So um, I have a question about personal finance. So let me try to make this long story short. I'm 27, been listening to you for uh, two years and a half, and I think now I have all my finance better than ever before. So I have my 401k, 6% match, Roth IRA, saving account, and uh, one of those stash apps, uh, Acorn, I think. Yeah, Acorn. So I'm trying to teach my wife pretty much to do the same. She's 31, but the problem is, she only does the 3% 401k uh, match with the company. She works at the same place as me, and she doesn't have any debts. But the thing is, she pretty much doesn't pay check by paycheck, while I'm saving pretty much 50% of my paycheck every month. So I don't know if and you know this is frustrating. Price, this is frustrating to you that she doesn't share your values. Exactly. So I'm trying to find out a class, a, part, a personal finance class that we can both go together and take as a couple or something like that so she can kind of understand more about uh, the value of her money. As, I mean, we work for the same company. We have pretty much the same uh, wage. So it's pretty much the same um, like the same money that we have, but she would spend like a lot, a lot more than me. Well, uh, all right. You're not going to be able to get her to change out of frustration. She's got to want to see that she's going to have more choices in her life and more power in her life if she learns to live on significantly less than what she makes, which is something you've already adopted. And it's like, how come she doesn't see this? So (laughs) she's got to want to do it. And I hate that it's a flashpoint of anger and frustration in your relationship but the fact that she doesn't carry debt um i would say don't push her too hard on this yeah i mean she's really good she doesn't have any debts or anything the only thing is she spent all her money pretty much every month I was like um you're not saving anything so and we are trying to buy a house pretty much in six seven months so it kind of doesn't help all right that's perfect okay so Thanks for mentioning that last part. So it all becomes about the goal. That if the goal is important to her and to you, and you want to achieve that goal, that's how you can change the conversation from one that creates tension to one that's a positive one where you're solution-oriented. So Mm -hmm. if the goal, if the next goal is to be able to have down payment money so you can buy the house you both want, Mm-hmm. then that's the conversation you have not about so you know I wish you should be I wish you could be better with money instead it's like hey let's talk through how we're going to get that down payment together for the home and then let's figure out how much money we're going to have to save each pay period so we have the down payment for it so instead All of right. looking at it as the overall thing hey, I've, I've gotten into this. I'm into saving here and investing this and doing that, and I'm doing all these things, but my wife just isn't on board. That's not going to get you to where you want to be. But if instead it, you're talking about life goals together and you start with, with something more immediate, not retirement, but start with how much money you're going to need to come up with for the down payment, how many tens of thousands are you going to need? Mm-hmm. Do you know how many? Yeah, about 15, 20. Okay. We already have about nine, so... Great. Pretty much I All right, so that's a so. great starting point. 
So if if you each set the goal of how much money you're going to save every pay period, so you come up with the with the money, the 15 or 20 you need for the house, then that's an achievable goal and you each work towards it and then it's all positive. And so every time it should be about the goal you're trying to achieve instead of the method of how you're going to get there. And so when something's positive and something you can look forward to, it's much easier to get to where you want to go. But if you want to know a place to go that would be just a site I really love and a guy who I actually have had on the air a couple of times in the past, Jonathan Clements, has a site called HumbleDollar.com. And his concepts are explained in a very non-threatening, simple way. And if you just read his blog posts, you'll see the kind of information that would be really helpful to build up the kind of reserves you should be building up and the long-term money for financial security that's great for all of us to have. It's time for Ask Clark, where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. Sometimes Joel will ask your question for you. Clark Richard had a question. He says, you often talk about interest rates with online banking. I started reaching out to banks on Bankrate, hoping to open up an account for my business. Unfortunately, business money is apparently no good. Out of the banks I called, there didn't seem to be any benefit of moving my business banking online. Am I missing something? Why aren't those two plus percent interest rates available for small business owners? Great question. And that's because banks don't want to track those deposits from small business owners, don't want to have to pay that interest to you. So the alternative for you is to open an account with one of the discount brokers, Schwab, Fidelity, uh, Vanguard, and uh, but with the business, maybe Schwab or Fidelity, where you can put your money in a money market mutual fund or in a short-term bond fund, a little bit of risk short-term with a short-term bond fund was funny. But anyway, you can earn those kind of rates as a business owner and pick up the kind of money that we're talking about with the online savings accounts for a personal account. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.